John Heslop from Witches Falls Winery has been a big beer fan for a long You're time. You're at Mount Tambourine, sorry. Yeah, I, I, know, I know John very well. I know the winery very well. I know You're the Kevin Bacon well. of uh, Queensland yeah. breweries or in Northern New South Wales. Welcome to Brews News Week, episode 406, recorded on today, Thursday, the 16th of February. Last week, I forgot to introduce myself, so I am Sabrina Kunz, and I'm joined today by my usual co-hosts, Matt Kirkegaard and Ian Watson. Hey, guys. Hey, Sabrina. Hey, Sabrina. Don't worry, you'll get the hang of it. You know, 700 episodes or so in, uh, you know. (laughs) I won't forget to introduce myself. Um. Well, we have a very news-dense week today, so listeners, strap yourselves in. It might be a bit longer than usual, but we'll do our best. Um, So we'll crack into it. Matt, Convoy announces Equity Raise and Gab's partnership. Absolutely, yeah, and just before I do that, yeah, I, I cannot remember a busier period. You know, Bruce News has been 12 years, and I've been you know running websites to cover the news for probably 17 years, and I do not remember a busy period in terms of news news um, ever. So it's, it's just been crazy. Um, so, yeah, listeners, bear with us. And uh, the first story, uh, Convoy announces Equity Raise and Gab's partnership. Um, Convoy Kegs has announced an equity raising campaign alongside a new partnership with the Gab's Festival. Advisory group Grant Samuels is leading the $25 million equity raise for the group in an effort to secure growth capital. Uh, the capital injection will focus on the demands of the reopening hospitality sector, and I think that's business speak for saying we're going to buy more kegs to make sure more beer can get to more venues. Also, I, I presume a portion of the money or some of the money they've already got has gone to invest in the industry uh, and with Convoy announcing a major partnership with the Great Australian Beer Spectacular, or GABS, um, set to take place later this year. As part of that part, Partnership, Convoy will showcase its digital keg solutions across the festival uh, and it cited its commitment to promoting sustainability and responsible drinking. Um, there are some quotes there, but yeah, that, that's the gist of the story. Uh, if you want to find out exactly what each party said, uh, go jump on the website and read the uh, story. It's certainly had a big impact in the industry, Convoy and, and Kegstar, and the growth of that's been incredible. From when I started in the industry, uh, when you had to own your kegs to... Uh, to, to be able to get them out there and the hassles involved in that. And then uh, when uh, uh, Kegstar and then Convoy come onto the market, I had my doubts about the modelling at first, but now for myself, there is no way that I could imagine running a brewery without... What doubts did you have? Well, it, to, to me, it was just at the time I'd look at what you paid for a keg and to, to purchase and what you paid for a keg to, to hire. And the thinking was around how the economics could, could work on that and, and not feeling as though... Uh, it really made sense that after X number of rentals, uh, it wasn't that long that you would essentially you could have you could have owned a keg yourself. However, that was just a quick fire thought. When you really look it through in hindsight now, and seeing the true cost of keg ownership in if you're sending your kegs out to the world, in chasing them down and getting them back, it's it's vastly different. You know, it, it's it, it, it's vastly outweighed by the by the ease of just getting a keg turned up, cleaning it, sending it out the door, and letting it be someone else's problem. Yeah, and, and, and that was the interesting thing. I, I caught up with Adam Tripp-Smith uh, at Drink Tech last year, and I've had a couple of conversations with him um, since about the expansion. You know, the thing that they found during COVID was suddenly keg stopped moving, and there was always a trust factor for breweries that would send their beers out to a pub, and you'd think that it was a fairly easy route. We send it out to the pub, the pub sends it back, but... Suddenly, when the whole beer economy stopped, brewers hadn't been tracking where their kegs were, and it, it was essentially a trust economy where they just assumed they would come back. But when they actually had to go and find them all, they didn't know where they were. And you, you, you hear the losses in keg fleets being, you know, something like fifteen to twenty percent a year, and you just realise what a cost is lost or wasted or you know evaporation in ter- in, in terms of the cost. So it's again, I've, I've never looked at it the way that that you, that you have, but it's uh, it is something that 
a model that seems to have found its uh, you know, found its audience. Oh, abs- absolutely, tracking tracking that down, and that's that's the thing. When when I was at very small breweries, uh, I kept a really close eye and really close tracking. But as you grow, and it doesn't take much of a number to get over in volume, and you just lose track. You just lose track so quick of of where your kegs are, and um, you know, working at a brewery doing a quarter of a million, three hundred thousand liters a year, and we had seven hundred of our own kegs, and that still wasn't enough. We were using um, keg keg uh, or keg star at that time um, there, and still using a lot of that there. And at times, being onto the phone to the sales manager and screaming at him, "I need kegs. If you want beer, I need." kegs, get me back the kegs. Um, and he was having that difficulty then of going down and tracking them and then getting them back to where the, where the brewery was. Whereas these models that um, now exist in these, these um, uh, what would you call it, keg hire systems, makes, things, makes life so much easier. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine uh, a world without it. So I can see how a company like Convoy could be growing so, so strongly and wanting to capitalise on things and move into new directions and new markets. We saw um, Wobba, Western Australia's Brewers Association, two years ago actually started a major campaign about keg theft. So, you know, they had run the numbers about keg loss and keg theft and just what a significant impact it was having on smaller breweries. So I'm sure that's part of the model. Um, My takeaway for this is um, at a time when the industry is... I don't want to say struggling, but certainly things are, it's a challenging environment and I'm sure some of the news articles are going to touch on that. It's great to see the investment by a growing supplier into the Australian and New Zealand industries. So I don't think we should take it for granted that but for some of this investment by suppliers like Convoy who are in a position to do so, um, there's a whole host of activities that would go unsupported in the industry. So I think, um, you know, it's great to see this partnership with Gabs is one way that Convoy is helping and we know a lot of the suppliers are doing it, but um, it's going to, it's been a busy news cycle because of the amount of stuff going on and as uh we will get to shortly it doesn't look like it's going to slow down so we need the support of these suppliers for the industry at this time um so speaking of uh i don't know if this is a nice segue into the next two stories matt but really the media release uh and then your subsequent article uh that i think has just gone live this afternoon on thursday the 16th around uh, Good Drinks Australia and Stomping Ground pull out of planned acquisition. Yes, this happened, when did it, Friday morning last week. Um, So after we recorded last week's podcast, Good Drinks Australia and Stomping Ground announced to the ASX uh, that they were pulling out of their planned acquisition that was announced last August. Um, They said at the time uh, that they sort of, a really good coming together of two breweries and it was described as one and one equals three. Um, You know, that should have closed late last year and it hadn't. Late last week, we heard that it had fallen through and, you know, nobody was speaking on Friday uh, when we reached out. They wanted to speak to their respective teams about what it all meant. Um, I managed to speak to Steve Jeffers um, early this week to find out um, Good Drinks Australia has declined. They said they've got nothing uh, to add. Um I, I will be speaking to Aaron Heary at some uh, later date, um, probably about the business generally. But very interesting to speak to Steve Jeffers and hear his reasoning, at least from their perspective. Um, and essentially he said that Good Drinks, you know, being a big company, has access to significant data and the ability to analyse it. Um they were privy to some of that and it just sounded like there were a dark clouds gathering um, over the industry. And I'll, I'll be honest, the, the, my questions were around were, wasn't consolidation and wasn't you guys coming together a hedge against that? And, you know, as breweries are looking for scale, wasn't that a positive even in a downtime? Um, and, and that's where sort of Steve talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the negatives of, of, of the planned you know, merger, uh, if, if the beer ever came from WA to get the benefit of that scale, probably wouldn't have been great for the Melbourne-based brewery. Um, but then also, um, it, it's very hard to defend your patch. And uh, yeah, so look, it, there's a lot in the article. There's a lot in his in, in his reasoning. Um, and 
the big takeaway was that there was a real element of we don't know what the next 12 to 24 months is going to be. But, you know, we're battening down the hatches. Um, and I think that should be something that is worth pointing out um, because a, a lot of breweries are doing it tough already. Last week on on this podcast, we talked about the good drinks um, financials that had come out from the prior quarter. We talked about their internal appointments and I was sort of making the point that said, look, on paper, they're doing everything right. Um, but their share price, uh, Good Drinks Australia's share price hasn't reflected that. And then as these announcements came out, um, the share price has not, you know, ticked up as a result of these announcements. So it feels like the market... Uh, is certainly see, having some pessimism around Good Drinks Australia. And based on these comments from Steve Jeffers, it would seem that Good Drinks Australia is having their own internal pessimism around the market. And and I think, you know, there's some really interesting comments in here from Steve around consumer confidence, the impact of interest rates, just what that economic environment really is and what it's meaning for the beer industry more broadly. But he also acknowledges, you know, data around um, beer consumption declining, which in every equity raise, we don't seem to get, you know, (laughs) nobody's saying that, right? Everywhere else, craft beer segment is growing. And yet when you look at a real life example of a market tested situation where lots of people with lots of data and a whole host of consumers being investors are taking a look at it um i think your phrase there matt was you know there's some dark clouds and it and it you know we really need to be talking about that which is why i referenced the importance of someone like convoy who is doing well continuing to invest and support the industry because i mean it it it, Everything in the news right now says um, it's going to be tough. And at risk of sounding a little bit defensive or a little bit self-justifying, you know, craft beer for 20 years is an industry that has built itself on hype and excitement and selling the dream, um, which, again, is a big part of marketing. But, you know, we've copped a bit of flack over, uh, over time for, you know, looking at the industry and highlighting some of the challenges that it faces because I think and and we have because economies don't always stay strong industries don't always stay in in growth and I've been concerned for a long time speaking to breweries who are in planning or have just opened or in in the process of opening and they keep pointing to the sort of data that keeps getting trotted out the industry craft beer is growing at 15 percent you know projections are and I've never understood where those projections are coming from um, because no market goes um, infinitely. Craft beer has been plateauing for a long time and by so many other metrics other than supposed analysts and the overall beer market is declining and, you know, there isn't, there's never been a lot of fat in the margins that brewers have been able to ask and, you know, Stories like this, I think, are very important because it is a little bit of a. Um, it, it, it's not talking down the industry. It's not. It's just going. Have a have a look at your business model if you haven't opened yet, or have a look at your business model if you have, and start asking questions because this idea of and Steve actually talked about it. One of the things yeah. that he said, and then I have to. He said. Um, and, and it reads as either contracting or contracting, um, depending because it's spelt the same. But he actually said contracting as in shrinking. So um, as, as something that some breweries may have to consider. Um, contracting is obviously another way, but, you know, for, for breweries that are in that, you know, difficult space where their costs are increasing, their margins aren't, and they're not getting scale – sometimes retreat or going back to a size that you are viable and not many people are talking about that you know we've seen he actually cited sam calagione's book when he talked about it of course sam sold his business without actually contracting but it's a this idea that we've seen over the last few years of 
merge, um, open more venues, all of these sorts of things may not be the way forward. It's a, it's a very capital-intensive business anyway. I, I think it's just a move of, with an abundance of caution from both sides there, looking at what may happen in the market. And this isn't just the beer industry too. I should add, this is just business in general uh, at the moment. It's a time when everyone needs to just be a little bit cautious with the way things are happening. And yeah, Matt, I, I fully agree. There, there is not... There is no need to always be looking for um, growth forever because it can't just it just can't happen. Um, you've got to look at how you can shore your business up and uh, give yourself a profitable business. And there may not be a need for your business to to grow. Maybe there's other ways that you can structure yourself in order to be profitable and sustainable. And growth may be part for some, but in times like this, that can be um, something that's maybe a little riskier and and probably just a move of caution from both sides here. I'm very conscious that it can sound self-justifying, but this is the thing that's been occupying my mind, and it shapes the you know as journalists, all we can do is ask questions um, by and large. And one of the questions that's been taxing my mind is with is how our business is going to grow. And you know, I had that really great chat. It was a very honest chat with the guys from Batch just a couple of weeks ago, and you know when they did their equity raise and everyone sells their equity raise on you know the the, the, the promise of growth and things like that because that's what will get investors in um, and they talked about you know, I can't remember exactly when but you know when they opened they were years ahead of you know they reached their five-year goal in 18 months or something like that and I, I, I asked them well if you reached your five-year goal in 18 months was that a as a stage at which you could have stopped growing and just you know gone hey isn't this awesome Let's stay at this size and have a nice little, you know, lifestyle job um, for ourselves doing something that we love. And that was where they didn't say it this way, but they sort of said, oh, well, we had to keep growing because we realised that if we wanted to have families and work less in the building and not essentially subsidise it with our time, the business had to grow because we have to put on staff. And to, you know, no criticism of them because we all learn business through trying but to me, that showed that their initial business plan was wrong. You know, that, that far from achieving a success by hitting their business plan, it highlighted that their, you know, their initial business plan wasn't projecting what they should have. So they could have just stayed at a certain size. And I'm hearing that more and more from, you know, breweries that constantly chasing growth in a market that, you know, regardless of what all of the, you know, international reports say, is is not growing um and and if it is it's coming from you know it, it, it's coming from dan murphy's home brands or things like that you know so the so the market for independent craft beer is shrinking yeah and i think the two so for me the two sort of quotes that stood out was um you know he talked about interest rates abiding confidence is taking a hit it's going to impact people's decisions as to how much they buy and if they buy more expensive independent craft beer I think it's a situation we haven't experienced in Melbourne or in the craft beer scene in well forever. And if that doesn't sort of set the timeline of, you know, somebody who's been in the industry built a really strong business going, this economic environment, these pressures are sort of new. And then and then the last quote that I think is what what we really talk about here and sort of part of why all of these uh, articles are here is I think um, – all breweries would be having the sorts of discussions internally where they say, how do we prepare for the uncertainty? And I'm paraphrasing, mm. how do we prepare for this economic environment? And to your point, sort of nothing should be off the table. And when we get through uh, the rest of our news today, I think we're going to see an ongoing theme of beer as a business, mm. right? Which is, Very much. Which is sort of... You know, that's sort of the theme of today that, you know, it's really, it's big business now and, and it's little business, um, but it's business. So um, on a business, a business who is doing um, very well, uh, Endeavour Group, <laughs> <laughs> Endeavor Group revenue grows despite retail sales decline. Yes, um, group revenue has increased at Endeavour Group uh, with sales for its retail arm, but those sales for its retail arm continue to decline in post-pandemic environment. So now when it says retail sales decline, that's from those artificially inflated, you know, we're all stuck at home, can't go to the pub 
times when people were, you know, Dan Murphy's online and all of those uh, businesses were doing very, very well and they were making record retail. People have gone back to, so overall, they're still making more money. And when you look at it, they're, whilst their retail, that's their, you know, Dan Murphy's, BWS stores, are down on this time last year over three over a three year compound annual growth rate. It's up um, fourteen so fourteen percent over the last three years and a CAGR of four point five over the last period. So they don't have the uh, they don't have the ass out of their, the seat of their pants. Um, you know, and the the one thing that came through when you dug deeply into their investor presentation, and this is the nice thing because. They're not presenting to us, they're presenting to investors trying to say why they should be you know, buying the shares and pumping up the share price. There was a little line that showed that their retail margins were actually up, I think, 0.1 of a percent. Yeah. Um, and this is the business that just a week ago we were reporting on because of the, the all of their costs and how tough it was for them. They were passing on $1.89 to... Uh, brewers that wanted to use their national distribution centre. So, yeah, look, talking about a business, this is a business. And Endeavour Group, um, if you supply Endeavour Group, you know, as I've said in the past, um, that part of your business you don't actually own. They own it because ultimately they love their shareholders more than they love their suppliers. Yeah, and I mean, this article encapsulated the problem, didn't it? Endeavour Group have retail on one side and hotels on the other side, and they've hedged against what's going on in the COVID environment. So their retail might be uh, down on the last couple of years, but is not down overall. And yet when their retail is down, their hospitality starts kicking off again. So, um, you know, they are really hedged very strongly. But they are invested in in the types of hotels that, you know, brew pubs compete against, for want of a better word. Um, and uh, the line, uh, their results show their um, retail margins remain unaffected. So notwithstanding supply costs, they haven't taken a hit anywhere. Um, it's their job as, an, as a corporation to provide a return to their shareholders. Um, so they're doing their job. Um, and, you know, but it has to raise questions in the market about would they be able to do this in a truly competitive marketplace? So, yes, you know. that's that's it. that's exactly right. And because, yeah, it is their job to keep the profit margins exactly the same. It's just that it feels like it's coming at the expense of some of the, the rest of us. But that's the job of any business is to keep keep its margins the same, keep itself, keep itself profitable. Well, there are two ways to maintain your margins charge your customers more um, or charge your supplier or, or charge your suppliers more in this case which means cutting into there someone's margins have got to go and that was the thing that really but charging your customers more can also be detrimental to you to you could still re- retain your um, your margin but you could actually use you, you can't bank percentage points you bank dollars and from a public relations war perspective right how Coles and Woolworths have essentially protected a duopoly in the in the um, in the space in the supermarket space is by trying not to raise prices too much for the end consumer and piss them off, because when it starts hitting, you know, millions of average consumers, that's when there's a PR nightmare. Just screwing the local farmer or the uh, low small brewer doesn't quite have the collective effect of raising prices on consumers. And so this is where, um, you know, this is where you cannot um, deny the market power of these entities because if they did not have this market power, they would not be able to pass that cost directly onto the supplier. They would have to absorb some of that themselves. But a lot to this one, I've had some interesting chats with industry this week. And, and not, not all, I have to say, not all of the industry agree that it's as big a problem. And I think if you don't use the National Distribution Centre, it's not a big issue because I don't think they charge for their regional distribution centres. And if you're a certain size um, or if you've got a certain volume, they don't charge you because essentially it's built up in, in, in volume. But yeah, it, it, look, it's a very complicated issue that brings in the incredibly complicated realm of competition and whether competition matters because it ensures that there is a wider selection of providers or whether it, as, as is often argued, the, the, the case that it provides cheaper 
um, you know, consumer pricing. Um, so, yeah, anyway, a, a lot to that one. Fascinating. And on something that is actually positive for the beer industry and something that's exciting for the beer industry, NZ Hops unveils Super Delish, Super Delic. Super Delic, I think, as in, yeah, Funkadelic, I think, right. Super Delic. Yeah, I mean, it's got the nice 60s vibe. It does, uh, has followed the 2020, which which actually uh, <laughs> reminds me of a lot of cans. Um, you know, a lot of cans have that yeah, 60s vibe. Yep. And, uh, you, you know, if you wanted to put the 60s vibe on your cans, how would you do that, Sabrina? I might call my friends at Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, Matt. They can because... Beer labels are regarded these days as a new mini billboard. And, uh, yeah, they can be a 1960s mini billboard if you want. And uh, it's a great voice for designers and artists with a very public canvas to present some terrific artworks. And if you want to stand out on an independent bottle shop or on the shelves of Dan Murphy's, uh, they can probably help you do that. Um, to get your specs right on a bottle or can and to make sure they look best at all times, call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at you to see how they can make your brand sing. I was nearly going to try to throw a spinner in the works then of your um your, your segue there when you asked about getting that 60s vibe on there. I was going to say, well, don't know about the 60s vibe, but I could go for a 70s vibe with, you know, either uh, a sunset or, or racing stripes, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> uh, let's not mention okay. that war. Superdelic. Um, New Zealand Hops has followed the 2020 <laughs> launch of Nectaron with the launch uh, last early this week of Superdelic. Superdelic is a commercial name for the hop known as NZH102 during trials and was developed uh, for more than 10 years after being crossed by Dr. Ron Beetson in 2012 through the New Zealand Hop Cooperative's uh, breeding program partnership with New Zealand's plant and food research. Um, it was trialled through New Zealand Hop's Bract Brewing Program, which super uh, select brewers are allowed to trial these beers. And uh, Mike Sutherland from Sawmill Brewing uh, said in a ha- in a hazy IPA, it revealed its ripe mango, sweet berry, and citrus notes. We also noticed its unique performance with great biotransformational properties from dry hopping during active fermentation. If uh, it, it's an incredible addition to our brewery, we were lucky to be one of the first to try it. Sutherland said, "Have you uh, tried NZ H one O two? Yeah, I have. Uh, so Brio was working at. This is an um, unpaid. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say this is an honest uh, opinion. He's putting his reputation on this. Yeah, uh, Brio was working at. We were part of the BRAC program and used the uh, 101 and 102. So we used the 101 in a uh, lager that we did in the Canvent calendar. Okay, um, and then we used uh, the 102 in a saison, which uh, actually hasn't been released um, ever. Okay, um, so actually, he still did say to, to that the released. 102. Um, Mike Sutherland from Sawmill said that you know phenolic yeasty um, beers would have a good uh, you know impact. He thought that it would play well with, with that as well. Um, yeah, it it did. That can be something that. Um, Sometimes, if you've got really estuary or, or phenolic yeasts, it can um, they can clash with some hop profiles. Mm. So uh, beers like that uh, uh, do really play well with hops, but not with with all hops. Um, and some can get in the way of that. Actually, New Zealand hops in general, I think, do really play well with um, phenolic and estuary uh, yeasts, uh, as opposed to some American varieties, which I find can be a little bit of a clash there um, between them. But no, the the one hundred and two certainly worked worked in well in in, in that beer, um, and then there was I tried a beer from I think Hop Nation um, was one of the yeah. Melbourne breweries that that did one with one hundred and two as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, there are quite. I think the um, you know my observations on this would be yay New Zealand obviously, um, but my <laughs> second piece would be um, you know the Bratz Brewing Program. You know it's an excellent program that they've set out that allows them to get real life feedback both from consumers and brewers and do a whole lot of testing before the announcement. Um, but we know this is the first harvest coming up in the next few weeks. Actually, that this will be commercially available, and so. No doubt there will be people trying to get this product um, this year. And so, you know, if you don't know what hop contract forwarding is yet, um, you might want to get onto that because we know as part of the cooperative, we discussed this earlier, they're only going to grow and start putting in according to demand. And so it'll be really interesting to see how this goes at this hop harvest and what the demand is. But it's always great. You know, we just talked about the... um, 
you know, excitement that built behind the craft beer industry. And so to actually have a new hop varietal come out at a time when craft beer is looking for something generally new to talk about. Um, and that's a real genuine, like 15 year in the process innovation. Um, that That's a great, that's good for us this year. That's an actual happy, happy thing this year. <laughs> Matt, so back to business. We've got a few um, CEO changes at some breweries around the country. Uh, first is new CEO as Triple One Three rebuilds post COVID. Yeah, look, this was a media release that came out last week. <laughs> Again, it took me a while to get back to because I, it was one that I wanted to actually look into. Triple One Three is a, another brewery that Equity crowdfunded um, last year. Um, and uh, you know, I think they raised 1.1 million of a plan, 2.5 million uh, on a valuation of 24.28 million. Triple One Three is the parent company. Um, they're a hospitality group. They own uh, Other Side Brewery. Um, they own Frio uh, Social. Um, I, I think it's called, which used to have a little brewery in, but they pulled that out. It's a great music venue in Frio, and a couple of other bars. Um, so you know. 25 million isn't insignificant for you know a, a couple of bars um, and a brewery, um, and you know when you see a CEO moving on, you know you want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, turned out that when I went back to look at their equity crowdfunding um, campaign, I think they were about three hundred thousand dollars in the hole, which wasn't bad after COVID, you know, hospitality, bars closed. Um, when they went, did their equity crowdfunding, they were talking, you know, looking at the post-COVID world and how things were springing back. Um, but they still, their, their losses increased to $1.8 million um, for the, the, the financial year um, that they uh did that equity crowdfunding. So, you know, I wanted to have a chat to the new CEO, James Legg, to find out a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, the change and those sorts of things. And, you know, he acknowledged the challenges. He talked, you know, the, the, there are still challenges, but the challenges are better now uh, than before. And uh, he said that they've had a great summer trade and uh, are looking at moving on. So, again, you know, a, a lot of journalism that we do starts with the media release. Um, journalism is all about asking questions. And when a CEO leaves, you ask questions and also, you know, dig into the financials to see if there may not be, you know, nobody, it, 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 there's always a uh, positive um, uh, story, whether it's uh, good drinks, buying, stomping ground. You know, isn't this awesome? <laughs> when, when they go apart, it's kind of like, oh, there was no problems. It's just we decided that it wasn't as awesome as we decided. So, you know, same with this one. So, you know, we just sort of asked a few questions and it, it, it's interesting. I hope they uh, go. Other side's a great um, little brewery, um, having having been there in the past. And, uh, you know, hopefully music venues and uh, you know, are coming back and that they can turn it around. Yeah, I think it's just highlighting, you know, everybody's got to trial things and hope that it works. Um, and, you know, they highlighted, the new CEO highlighted that what they used their crowdfund campaign was to invest in some people um, and some working capital um, and to get them through. And so, I mean, I think that is really showing, you know, how tough it is out there that the investments are being need to be made. But, um, you know, as we go through these difficult times, we're hoping investment will continue be, to be made into the, you know, the, the humans in all of these businesses. Uh, so another CEO change, Matt, um, Black Ops announces new CEO as founder departs. Yeah, again, another one. This um, came to me uh, last week, Black Ops. You know, I'd, I'd say fairly quietly announced that uh, it, it, one of its founders and the fellow that had been acting or had been in the position of CEO um, was leaving. And, you know, when, when a founder and CEO leaves quietly, um, you know, you, you would normally expect, and particularly a person who's been a very much a face, um, you know, two or three sentences in a email to um, investors is not the way you often expect these things to, to, to be announced. Um, and, you know, you don't know. Some people are very modest. Some people don't like to be celebrated. Some do, um, but, you know, started asking questions. So I spoke to Nathan Hyde, who's the new CEO, um, and he comes, you know, he's got a background, he spent some time at Little Creatures uh, back when it had a um, 
venue in Melbourne. Uh, he's been at uh, what he described uh, a transformational CEO at Yarra Valley, Valley Dairy. Um, and, you know, he, he'd actually been looking at uh, building a brewery uh, up near Bagara, um, up near 1770. So uh, he... he pretty much decided to make the move to uh, Queensland and this job came up. So, um, yeah, that, that, that was really interesting. Uh, but again, very interesting um, that more wasn't made of, of the handover and the change. You know, Dan, I, I reached out to Dan to ask whether he would answer some questions. He said that he wasn't really all that interested in speaking by phone, that he preferred to do it by email. Um, he since amplified that, saying he doesn't like how he's quoted uh, when uh, he, he does phone interviews. Um, he said that on his own podcast. But, you know, essentially said it, he felt that it would be strange coming into a business that he founded um, and doing something, you know, less, you know, than the CEO and it would be confusing to other staff, which is, uh, you know, perfectly uh, valid. Um, the only, th- you know, again, and read, read the article, you'll see all of his quotes. They were written down so <laughs> that they can't be misquoted. Um, uh, and and he, he gave the reason, um, which was quite compelling. The one thing that I, you know, didn't really sort of go into in the article, but interests me personally is 12 months ago Black Ops did an equity crowdfunding raise Um, they valued themselves at 67 million dollars they raised 2.2 million dollars as I looked into this you know again same as I did with triple one three or one triple three you know is there more to this you know what's the story I realized that you know Black Ops despite having done two equity crowdfundings hadn't filed its um, ASIC, you know, its financials with ASIC. So I wasn't able to check those to see whether that might be a, a little bit of background. And I also got some, you know, dug out some ASIC records about, you know, when directors were appointed and removed and things like that, just to, just to sort of see what's happening in, in the company in verifiable records. And when they launched their equity crowdfunding, um, you know, it was very much beer made by three mates on the Gold Coast. And you can still see this on the virtual platform. Um, you know, sort of talking year, about... the 20... The, the 20, 2022... Yeah, it closed on February 4, 2022, so just over a year ago. So yeah. um, they tell their story. It's all onwards and upwards. It's all, you know, what their plans are. Meet the team, the directors, Dan Norris, Eddie Oldfield and Michael McGovern. Now, when I dug in, you know, so saw that Dan had um, resigned as a director on the 6th of February this year. Um, Govs, Michael McGovern, had has actually not been a director since 2017. And, you know, uh, five or six months after, um, the, they raised $2.2 million. Govs, I would say, quietly left the, the, the business as well. There was an announcement made that he'd long been wanting to, uh, you know, do himself out of a job and go do other things and help other brewers, which again is perfectly fine. But that's not the story. If there were doubts, if there were you know thoughts of people moving on, you know people that have invested in that two point two million dollar raise haven't been able to look at the company's financials, and they also haven't been told you know some of the doubts that the company was having. And that's why we do journalism. We ask questions because you know at the end of the day, people's money's at stake. Um, and, you know, I think they're fair questions. It's not drawing any, uh, you know, negative deductions. The bit for me, Matt, on all of that is that these are verifiable records that were able to be um, gotten by anyone um, if you know where to look and search ASIC, etc. But Birchall, I mean, I know... The gatekeeper, the, the gatekeeper, yeah. The, the 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 regular the the body that has a regulatory responsibility to verify who the directors are that the financial state that they have given statements that say they're fair and accurate representations um, that are allowing people to raise on their platform when they haven't met their prior obligations of prior raises so this is not I am not having a go at black ops um, I want to dig into the 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 um, detail of what Dan said because I actually think it's really instructive for other breweries. Mm. Oh, but this absolutely. piece around Birchall not doing the bare minimum to ensure Making sure that the part that the financials clear, that are due under the previous fundraising are, are done. That but prior to enabling somebody to raise again on their platform, that they are not doing the bare minimum and frankly are being rolled out 
at various opportunities across the country to talk about why it is such a great platform. It is for them. It is. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point, right? Like we investors, people who are who could become evangelists for craft beer are not getting the facts and the information and no one is holding them to account. And whether it is today or tomorrow or in two years or five years, this is going to come home to roost Mm. for someone. And let's just hope that someone is not a craft beer entity who was done a disservice by not being um, guided through the process in a way that met expectations by yeah, um, well, what is the gatekeeper's role so, if not to make sure that breweries, before they go back to the trough, are compliant with the last time that they went? And, uh, you know, look, we've been over it before and this building fear of missing out before it opens, but I'll, I'll, I'll compare it to Parrot Dog in New Zealand, which is in the process of doing a raise. They sent out there, and we haven't even had a chance to cover this because it's New Zealand, so we have to do what we can, you know, do. But um, Parrot Dog... I think it was a week before they actually opened their raise, they sent out their prospectus with all of the financials in. Whereas here, breweries spend two or three weeks building hype and then on the day that it opens, then they give you the financials. So there isn't an adequate, you know, in, in, in the case in, 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 when they sell out in two or three hours, you don't have time to make a, a sober consideration of, of the financials. Parrot Dog did you know, a week and not only that, but with the cyclone coming um, to hit New Zealand last week, they actually paused their raise to make sure that you know it wasn't I- impacted um, and that you know everyone had the chance. I thought that that's a case of doing it right. So, to the substance of Dan's comments, um, which uh, you know I thought were actually uh, were really instructive. You know, he made the point that says, and this is. Any small business knows this, particularly in the brewing industry where the often the founders, you know, grow up inside the business itself. Mm. They grow with the business. And he sort of said, you know, he found himself in this role of CEO, managing director, you know, with the skills, expertise. Um, and he acknowledged that himself saying, you know, I've never done anything like this before. And to be honest, I felt out of my depth. And a lot of the business owners that we have seen and spoken to in beer in particular have come that way and so it took a lot for the business as a whole Dan included to say actually we need to find some more um more other skills and bring them into the business and he's right that often even if he took a separate role so Dan made the point that even if he took another role within the business the advice that he had received is it makes it confusing for people within the business and he's right because he could say I'm going to go and work on the packaging line. Give the example because we've talked about um, beef from Bolter. I'm going to go work on the packaging line. But if you are the person that has always spoken for the company, you've made all of the decisions, a staff person goes, oh, I've got, now got to go talk to Nathan and get my instructions. And then you're doing this. And Dan, uh, without any consciousness, could like raise an eyebrow, look funny. And that staff person goes, oh, Oh, maybe maybe Nathan's wrong. Maybe I need to just check with Dan if I should do that. And it's not it's human nature, right, to say I don't know what to do. So I actually think it's quite uh, smart of them to go for the business to continue. Dan needs to step aside because it's clearer for the staff in the business what they need to do. And I think that is. Um, I should say I'm a hundred percent on board with that because. <laughs> That's why you're here. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I'm a writer. I'm a freelance writer. I didn't want to air our dirty laundry, but let's just say we've got dirty a, laundry as a well. Public, no. A public founder who is the go-to person who responds on behalf of the business, who's still in the business, makes it difficult for other people to respond on behalf of the business. And so I think that is a real, real insight for businesses that are growing, where. You know, do you take one for the team and step aside? When do you put your baby out into the world and say... I've been waiting for my chance to step aside, I have to say, you know. (laughs) So I'm I'm incredibly, incredibly jealous. So when when can I go, Sabrina? That's the question. (laughs) 
Um, so I think, you know, I, I just think that is instructive for businesses when they're thinking about their growth, their long-term things. Have they got the skills, capabilities to handle this increasingly challenging business and economic environment? If they don't, as we talked before, can they afford to get those resources in without stepping aside and still pay themselves salaries? These are all questions that are going to come up for people in the next little while. And so I just think these comments from Dan are really um, thoughtful and helpful. Yeah, I, I think it's a very mature approach to have to it. Full full disclosure here, I know the Black Ops guys very, <laughs> very When is there going to be a story that you can – for a brewery that you haven't worked yeah, in? Yeah, I've worked for most, yeah. <laughs> so, the, the, well, Govers was working with me when they started, started Black Ops. I've known them all. I worked for Black Ops for a while. I still catch up with them and have a beer with uh, any of the three founders any time that I that I can. But yeah, it's a, it's a very mature decision to make. It's a very hard decision to make, but a very um, uh, mature decision to make. And it's something that often when people come and speak to me when they're going to be starting a brewery or wanting to start a brewery, and generally from a little bit of a different angle here, we're talking a much smaller operation and people are going to be a brewer and it's like, well, have you got experience uh, doing doing this? Maybe you should just look at hiring a brewer, and you run your you run your business, so you realise where your skill sets at. Pay someone to do where their skill set at, and then, but then even then, if that business keeps to growing, you get to get to a point where you realise that is this still in my skill set of of running this? Maybe I've done a good job getting it to here through reasons X, Y, and Z, but now I can get in a real pro that really knows how to to run this sharply and and keep moving along. And yeah, as you guys said stand out of the road and, and let your business do what it needs to do. And I tell you, it's going to be a really interesting case study. Uh, again, you know, Dan's talked about it on his own podcast um, about, well, it was always about good beer and they've won a lot of awards and you know, uh, all of that. But Three Mates on the Gold Coast, you know, as I, as I keep pointing back to the equity crowdfunding, that was the story that they took to market to raise money because they knew the value of that story. Um, their trucks are driving around delivering beer with Three Mates, front, you know, beer made by three mates on the Gold Coast. Um, it's going to be a really, really interesting case study in rebranding and rebuilding. Um, and I, you know, I, I genuinely hope that they, that, that they do it, but it's going to be a fascinating one to watch as Nathan, the new CEO, guides them through that process or guides the business through this process and we'll see, you know, what is the next level? Because um, again, I, I look at Brewdog, for example. Um, you know, Brewdog has has grown. It's still very much James Watt, James Watt's personality. Um, and I think, as an observer, that is one of the biggest liabilities for the country these days, you know, for, for the company these days. And you know, perhaps the business should have been less James Watt and a little bit more, you know, Brewdog as it matured. But Good luck to them. I, you know, really hope that they do well. well. It, it it is still beer made by three mates on the Gold Coast because it's on the Gold Coast, and Bill and Dom <laughs> and Rick are, are, are still pretty good mates, as far as I, you know, as far as I know. But it, it look that is something that's an interesting point there, and this is something that also I've raised to people as well: is how you market in a face of the business, and is that face of the business going to be an enduring face of the business? Mm. So there's no point putting a real push and um behind your brewer if your brewer is just an employee. Well, in this case, and this, it wasn't an employee, it was a co-founder. Co-founder, yeah, but they, they moved on. So this, yeah. is, this is slightly different, but um, your story has got to be around there. And there comes a point where your story, when you get to a certain size where maybe your story can't be put down onto any one individual, it needs to be put on the brand and built on that brand out from there. And Black Hops have, have reached that size there where you can't even look at it and go, okay, well, well, the original brewer was a founder of the company, so you could marketing on that but then as it grows and grows out there well you could put on all three of the founders as who've built the company and that's the story there but now it's probably perhaps beyond that scale where you want to tie it just down to one or two or in this case three individuals and you want to build it on what the brand of black ops is and those founders those brewers they just become part of the storyline as to where it is now but they don't have to be the face of where it is mm. now the face of the of the company, and I, I do think this should be the case. Even smaller, the face of the company should be the beer, not necessarily the person that's 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 um that's making it as important as they are. Mm. You're always going to have to have people um, speak for your brand, right? So it's not saying that you aren't going to have CEOs, etc. Um, and, and we've talked about two CEO changes, but 
this is where if we go down into like what are your brand values um, and, and have those brand values and look and feel and everything about your business sort of stand on its own and have different people be able to tell that story. And it doesn't have to take away from there were originally three founders. And if we look at, you know, I always talk about New Zealand examples, but we look at the parrot dog prospectus that we were talking about, that is three mates in a garage, um, garage project three mates in a garage that is still part of their story it always will be but if you look at the overall branding of those businesses and in particular parrot dog um it that is not their brand story mm. right their brand story has moved on over the years as they've evolved to be about you know, we're from this part of Wellington, we're from Lyle Bay, we're a national company, and they even talk about needing to do that more. So I think, again, you know, it is instructive of the types of issues, as you say, Ian, even small breweries, as they start to grow, need to be thinking, are we always going to be able to speak to this? Because what if we want to sell, and I'm not talking sell out, in inverted commas, Mm. you know, to someone bigger, but what if we just decide we want to sell our business and the whole story of that business is these two guys, you're less valuable, right? Yes, that's right. Conscious of time, although we did warn everyone it was a big news week, 2023 AIBA entries open. Yeah, um, we're getting around to that stage. 2023 entries for the Melbourne Royal Australian International Beer Awards open on Tuesday the 14th of February. They close on the 17th of March. Uh, trophy presentation is Thursday, May 25th. And just uh, to pull something from our other news, if you wanted to have a little bit of a teaser, um, there was a great article on Crafty Pint this week about our own, uh, well, our, our, she's still our own, uh, Claire Burnett, um, who was last year the media trophy winner. Um, yeah, and it was a very nice story talking about her and uh, also a little bit of an insight into what she's doing now. Um, so if you are a beer writer, you can enter that. If you're a brewer, you can enter that side. If you're Maybe if you had some of your labels done by uh, Rallying's Label Stickers and Packaging, you can enter the uh, Packaging Awards as well, So which is a, is a category. And, you know, get that you, Rallying's you're getting effect. a double, double Rallying's ad <laughs> in here. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I'll, 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 I'll charge them. I put these two together, uh, these two, this next piece of news together, because when I go to attend the AIBAs on the 25th of May, the following weekend, in the days thereafter, I am going to take advantage of the new beer trail, uh, new Victorian beer trail. So, um, Matt, they've launched a new tour offerings. Yeah, a new Victorian beer trail that received a government grant last year has launched uh, tour offerings to further drive interest in beer tourism. Um, the Kingston Collective, which received $43,000 from Victorian government's small-scale and craft program in May last year, officially launched the Bayside Beer Belt, consisting of 11 craft breweries, including Stomping Ground Moorabbin, uh, Two Brothers Brewery, Bad Shepherd Brewing Company, and Wolf of the Willows. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's four very good breweries that are well worth um, visiting uh, uh, there um, now, as as part of the funding, the Beer Trail has launched various tour offerings, including a hop on, hop off craft brewery and distillery tour, which allows guests to choose a maximum of four venues to visit in a day from a circuit of six to seven breweries or distilleries. As part of the Steam Three Craft Program, participating projects were required to benefit a minimum of three agri businesses. Uh, Natalie Wilson, the co-founder of the Kingston Collective, said we're very proud to say that upon completion of this grant, we are uh, bringing direct benefit to 14 agribusinesses in the unique craft industry. And I, there's just something heartwarming about hearing breweries heard as you know referred to as agribusinesses rather than factories. Yes, it's become a long time coming. Are they referring to the breweries? Because I read this as suppliers of the breweries are being directly supported. No, well, it's direct I'm benefit. Wrong. So I presume that agribusinesses are brewers using agricultural yeah, we're using products. agricultural products. So, yeah, we're, uh, I suppose you would say, a secondary, oh. secondary producer, so direct tie to, to agriculture. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because when I read this, I went, oh, yeah, that's great. We're buying from maltsters and hopsters. And so th- there's 14 of those that are benefiting from these businesses. But mm. um, there you go. And uh, the, the Bayside Beer Belt has taken it further by literally putting this Victorian beercation destination on the map. So, yeah, look, again, uh, there are some things that Bruce News uh, returns to as news items um, because tourism, you know, getting people into breweries is critical like it's it's um as the market tightens as the major retailers cut back on ranging 
all of these sorts of things, getting people to build strong brewery tourism brands um, is is really, really important and uh, getting breweries to think how they can do this. So, yeah, so great, great little story and uh, well worth telling. What I loved about this and, and what I sort of flag for other areas to consider is we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago about the Tasmanian craft beer trail and how it sort of dropped off because there was no one leading this. The Kingston Collective are a standalone entity that's job or has created a job out of supporting a certain area so they have said we're committed to growing this area including this Bayside Belt and so they've taken it on themselves as sort of independent from these 11 breweries that they're supporting to drive this and be an entity to get the funding and and to put it together and it's benefiting all of these and so you really need a resource in your area that can drive this because it doesn't work if it's 0.5 of an FTE who's got a thousand other jobs and so which is a little bit like Josh Donahoe on the Sunshine Coast who's uh, exactly exactly or the Southwest Beer Trail in WA yep. and so I think this is really instructive of if you think there's something in your area is there an entity is there a central point that can help kick this off because you know the crass term bums in seats your margins are best at your brewery the beer is best where it's made um, this is part of creating a durable industry at a time when it's really tight. So, like, I love everything about this. And as I said, um, two days after the AIBAs, I will be doing the hop-on, hop-off bus if it is available in the Bayside Beer Belt, and I can't wait. New brewery lures, former Green Beacon brewer, Matt. Again, a new brewer starting would normally go into our people moves, um, but Green Beacon is uh, celebrating 10 years this year. It's uh, It was acquired by Asahi that has since gone on to be owned by you know, CUB as part of that. Um, and it's fairly significant that, he le- that when somebody like that leaves, um, they're often described as having golden handcuffs. Um, and it's interesting that it's a brewery that's uh, being opened by a long-standing winery. So uh, it just sort of seemed a little bit, um, you know, more than the average uh, people moves. Um, so we sort of dug into it and uh, it was interesting to see that he was just sort of looking forward to the flexibility that came with being a smaller, more dynamic uh, business than uh, than one of the larger ones. Um, but then again, you know, I contrast that with uh, this week I was down at Bolter Brewing and seeing how well they've done and just how they've gone from strength to strength, um, you know, under, under the same management. So, uh, yeah, two very different approaches and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting down and check out that one. But John Heslop from Witches Falls Winery has been a big beer fan for a long You're time. You were at Mount Tambourine, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, know, I know John very well. I know the winery very well. I know You're the Kevin Bacon well. of uh, Queensland yeah. breweries or in Northern New South Wales. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I know all the parties involved here. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great pair up because Witches Falls do make uh, incredibly good wines. Um, I don't think people realise what a great winery we've got on our doorstep here in, in Brisbane. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of big fan of all their stuff. Uh, actually, last year, one that really excited me was their Lembrusco because I hadn't had a Lembrusco since I was 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and so they put out a Lombrisco and it was fantastic. Um, John's been wanting to to move into the beer scape for a while. Uh, him, him and his daughter, um, Abby, uh, both big beer fans. Um, and yeah, been wanting to do this. So it's great. They've now got an experienced hand to, and a proven hand to help lead them on. And uh, really excited to see what comes out of this. Cool. Another one to go visit uh, towards the end, of, the end of this year. Uh, so that's it for... Uh, well, Our that's news. it for, the substan- <laughs> for substantive news that we have been able to publish in the past week, notwithstanding that there are some other um, substantive conversations going on in the industry. And so, Matt, you, your beer is a conversation or the beer is a conversation that went out this week was speaking with Harriet and DJ McCready from Mountain Culture, you know, post their Hottest 100 win. But needless to say, it covered a whole host of topics that were not. Yeah, because obviously we'd spoken to DJ on the day of the win. Um, Although, as it transpired, I didn't realise that when he was speaking to us, he didn't know that he was live. Um, Oh, Oh, that's not so that, well. Well, again, I don't know why he thought suddenly that you, me, you and me uh, were having a chat to him, um, <laughs> you know, uh, together. But anyway, um, yes. Uh, but as I said to him, it, it just shows that we don't know. Like we haven't teed people up 
it was a call and he just sort of took it in, in, in amongst the excitement. Um, it, it, it is nice that they uh, do pick up the phone to us, though, <laughs> even when they don't. But anyway, uh, didn't talk too much about um, Hottest 100 other than a little bit about campaigning and a little bit about um, what it means for them. But it was really interesting that Mountain Culture, that God, just three years ago, opened their doors to what was a small little, um, they intended was going to be a small little Mountains Brew Pub that they had to close soon after because of COVID. Um, They went pivoted to online. When they reopened, they couldn't keep up with demand for their brew brew pub. And so I had to expand. And I, I think a they they lucked into a venue that was available because something else had fallen through and then they got a brewery. Like it was just that they've had so much luck that they acknowledge, but at the same time for a business that holds itself out as being pretty, um, you know, jovial and, you know, fun, there's obviously some very serious minds driving it. Um, and so I really wanted to dig uh, in, into that and uh, I did. It was a really, really interesting chat. And so I'm conscious that we're sort of fairly over time today, but again, like we did last week, we want to acknowledge all of the people that are posting really important conversations into the Radio Brews News. So um, just to flag, as everybody knows, we're sure, uh, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand are currently reviewing the requirement to provide energy, read that as kilojoule labelling on alcoholic beverages. Um, we probably can't go into the substance of all of it, but it's important for the industry to know that the deadline for submissions has been extended by Fazans to the 20th of March. So you've got a few more weeks. Um, Matt touched on this in his conversation with Kylie and Richard from the IBA as a topic that needs reviewing. Um, there's been lots of conversation around what does this mean and what you should submit. If you are a member of the IBA or the BA, you should get in touch with your representatives and find out what it is that they are putting forward and how you can amplify support, contribute to those submissions to have them, you know, uh, to have that cumulative snowball effect of being meaningful um, because we don't want this to be a corrugated packaging pregnancy labelling situation whereby industry didn't sort of, we're not behind it enough and so Fazans aren't aware. So do what you can to submit on this one because it's huge. Absolutely, yeah. This is this is the biggest labelling issue we've probably ever had uh, in in this this company. This could have, if this was to go through, there is the potential for this to have massive effect on the massive. beer industry, on what's available to you, on costings and viability of production runs to brewers of of all scales. It, it's it's huge. It's it's actually a little bit scary. So please, if you are uh, working for a brewing business, please make sure that you do read into this and uh, look, um, yeah, look a little bit deeper into it, so you have a bit of an idea what what may be ahead of us. And understand all of the options, Ian, because as we could see in this group, uh, so I knew this when I started this consultation on behalf of the Brewers Guild. So I had worked with um, Kylie on what were the range of options. And often the option that sounds the best has unforeseen potential outcomes down the track. So the associations are spending a lot of time doing some scenario planning that says, that sounds like an easy outcome, but if that comes out, what does that actually mean? And so it really has very significant implications for breweries. And this is only one, um, so uh, I'll coin the phrase by Dylan Firth of of the Brewers Association in New Zealand who called the labelling changes the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So we had uh, pregnancy that's come out. This is energy labelling, which also is going to have an impact on sugar and carbohydrate claims. Uh, and there is a fourth one, which I cannot recall at this time, but um, these aren't going away and they're incredibly complex and they're going to keep coming. And so this regulatory framework, uh, breweries need to get involved. Absolutely. And then, Matt, we might skip over this one for another um, another time, but just again to flag um, Jimmy Kreckelberg. I want to pronounce that with a German accent, but then it um, posted this into the Radio Brews News group about, again, about the Scottish government proposing a ban to alcohol advertising and marketing, merch, and even promotion of alcohol sales. We've mentioned this before. I was going to say, I knew it was in the show notes because I'd seen it come up before, and it's one of those ones that 
is really the thin edge of the wedge. And if this goes in Scotland, um, we could end up with, you know, th- this is the argument for plain packaging. You, you won't be able to wear your bintang shirt or umbrellas. and. This is why I think, you know, it sounds like it's happening in Scotland and, and um, Jimmy, you know, provided the links to the submissions. But I posted an article um into the Radio Brews News Group about in New Zealand. And if you go to the bottom of the article, they start citing the same language and claims being made in the Scottish consultation around plain packaging. Mm. No advertising, plain packaging can't be sold here. So this point of it won't happen in Australia or this is so far away or who cares about ABAC or we should have a different regulatory environment, or we're not going to play ball because there's no policeman. Um, This is flagging where things could go, and it just takes it to happen in one jurisdiction. It can then be used in other jurisdictions as supporting evidence. Um, And so, you know, it is really one for the industry to, to pay attention to given everything we've just discussed about the more the ever increasing regulatory environment so now that we're at the uh we're well and truly over an hour matt we've got um brewery of the week thanks to bluestone very quickly yeast. need to say thanks to our friends at bluestone yeast because they can supply pitches of yeast from one liter to 100 liters at greater than two billion cells per milliliter whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 0385183172 because he loves talking about yeast. And uh, this is actually a brewery that I haven't been to, um, but I got a lovely note and a little care package from Merrick and the mill team. Dear Brews News team, I often hear Sabrina and Matt hoping for a cracking lager, so I thought I'd send a four-pack of our cracking lager enjoy so uh i, I did have one of the the cracking lager, and i love the branding um it looks like a um a 1960s american lager um from the miller it just sort of looks like a like a classic a miller light or something like that but without being a you know too close to a rip you know, it was a homage a genuine homage and uh, i had it last night and because it's like 35 degrees and humid and uh, it, it was lovely so i haven't gotten to the brewery uh passionately handcrafted in collingwood i've, uh, I've visited there uh, amongst a heap of other breweries um after the iobas Last year, I believe it was. <laughs> but yet, without too much recollection of... No, no, I, I remember I had a great environment there. There was a lot of people there the day I was at, and it was, it was part of a trail we did of, of quite a number through, through that area there. And that wraps up another week of news, of a lot of news for the beer industry. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Matt Kierkegaard and Ian Watson. The show is produced by Vivian Tapalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all for your contributions by email, text, phone or in the Radio Brews News group. Um, we know we can't get to respond to you all, but we do read everything and it, um, we really appreciate it. Please rate and review your podcast on Apple or Spotify to help more folks in the brewing industry find the show. And we'll chat next week. And we're out. Giddy up. <laughs> Just try that as a Absolutely new uh, little... Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs>